uh, we'll get to your calls. We gave you the numbers. There's already a bunch of people hanging on. We want to talk to Bill Konkoleski. If you want to join the conversation, you can call now on this subject, or you can uh, keep your powder dry if you've got something else you want to talk about, because we'll do open lines an hour from now on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. Just for Snicks, I posted a photo of uh, what it looks like when I, I do coast to coast in the middle of the night. I think I, I I do the show the same way that most people listen to it. So I put up a photo of that at uh, on Twitter. And, uh, and hi, Leon, and hi, Colby, and anybody else that's my colleagues, like my friend Ed Weigel, who may be listening right now, or for that matter, Kevin. So we've got a Kevin hanging on. We've got a bunch of other people, too, uh, who want to talk with Bill Konkoleski. Let's finish up that thought, though, that we were just talking about before the top of the hour, Bill, about being able to detect what is and what isn't a fake, or how do we analyze these photos, especially as the faking, you know, the manipulation of these images has become so prevalent and deep fakes are so easy now. Um, do, do UFO investigators raise their game in terms of what they study and how they're able to analyze something in order to sort of sort out what was is a deep fake and what is an actual photograph or video? Yeah, one of the benefits of doing photo analysis is that, for example, back in the 90s when people were really impressed with things and we got to, you know, get a handful of tips and tricks to look at some of these pictures to be able to identify the obvious hoaxes. As, you know, these hoaxers fade out, I mean, our skill set just increases and increases and so now the the sophistication of investigation is you know i think we're still keeping a step or two ahead of of the hoaxers and yeah one of the problems is is that back in the day um somebody would shoehorn a a fake thing into a, a real photograph right and then it got to the point with uh people being able to actually fake the whole thing. <laughs> they fake the background and the and the for you know and the UFO in it. But um there there's there, there's still a lot of things and you know I I won't you know fully show our hand but one of the great things like when I bring up like Mark D'Antonio who I did one of our photo analysis guys as you know he does computer graphics for uh his career and so he's able to, he knows the tool sets that are capable of creating some of these videos that aren't real you know another thing that happens to when somebody does a hoax they will they'll rarely share it with mufon as their first step what they'll do is they'll dump it into social media it'll go right to a tiktok or a youtube and you know manage to get all those people looking at it especially the way that some of these social media sites can monetize clicks and you know that's where they'll dump it because you know credulous people will look and say oh my gosh that's amazing and then you know they'll reap all the financial benefits and get their 15 seconds of fame before actual ufo investigators come in and say no this isn't real right and you know they you know they rarely come to us and when they do it's for validation so that they can post it on social media and say look even mufon says it's real right 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 
Very interesting. Sign of the Times, east of the Rockies, Kevin is in Corpus Christi on Coast to Coast AM. Kevin? Yes, hi. Uh, hi, you're, you're talking to Bill Konkoleski. Hi, nice to talk to you. Uh, I've been lucky enough, I grew up around the Kern County area, if you know where that is, in California. So I, I, I do not personally. Okay. What was that? Oh, I, I don't personally, but uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it's around where Edwards Air Force Base is. And growing up as kids, spending a lot of time out in the desert at night, you see a lot of things that if you think you kind of figure out real fast, it's something that you normally don't see. And I've seen a lot of things as a kid that doesn't make a lot of sense until you get around the military and get around aviation and makes a lot of sense. But then again, you see a lot of things that doesn't make a lot of sense. So that kind of background with me, I've got, I check in a lot of aviation, figure out different planes, things like that. But my two questions would be, what's it going to take for the, for the U.S. government to open up the books and say, hey, this is what we actually have, what we know. And the second question would be, where would I go to look to find credible information about UFOs? Bill? Okay. Yeah, thanks for the question. So uh, I'll take the questions in order. So what would it take um, for disclosure, um, maybe to, to – to put the question in, in that respect, I think that the the government and military they are understanding now that the acceptance of the variety of things that can cause this phenomena, like uh, as as you often <clears throat> have been hearing in the bumpers on the show, yeah, nobody says that UFOs aren't real anymore. It's just a matter of what they are. So I think. A small percentage, very small percentage probably, of what people are seeing is something that is not from Earth. And But the fact that anything is coming um, from elsewhere is a huge deal. And they are trying to get ahead of the um, <clears throat> the issue now by putting out these uh, the sort of drip feed of of releases of information like the report that we just got you know saying here's a here's a number of sightings some identified some unidentified and because in say maybe just a couple few years um, this report is required to go on to 2026 you know uh, pardon me for sort of rambling in my answer but I'm, I'm just trying to make the point that they know that at one point it's going to be undeniable that we're being visited. And because of that, they are sort of just very lightly giving out very small tidbits of validation now so that when it becomes clear, when a UFO lands on the White House lawn, so to speak, and people say, you knew about this, didn't you, government? You knew about this, didn't you, military? Um, instead of being standing there with their pants down, they'll be able to say, yeah, we've been telling you about this for years. We put out a report every year. We're on your side. You know, we've been giving you the information. What it would take, I think, is something that is undeniable. And short of that, they're not going to release okay. information. Um, I, w- I want to put an addendum. Military. I want to put an addendum on that, okay? 
and, and this is what I would this is what I would proffer that while everything you said may be true, what if the DOD is happy to allow this concept of visitation? Happy to allow people, give them bread and circuses. And in the meantime, they're panicking because the people that actually can and have hurt us, hostile governments, have this type of technology that we don't have and we haven't been able to figure out. And maybe, as you mentioned, you know, 2026, they're trying to buy time until they can unveil the fact that we can do what they do. And in the meantime, they distract us um, with this head fake and that they're they that's why they're perfectly willing to put out a number like 171, because they know that's not real. They know the real thing is that China or Russia or somebody else has aerial technology superior to ours. And that's what they think would make the American public actually panic that they would they that's what would send everything crazy if they thought that China could land a craft in the White House lawn um, and be able to fly underneath our radar and be able to fly between our fighters and whatever. That's what they're worried about more. And that if it were an alien, they come off as very benevolent. It's like, well, you know, they've been here. They're, they're E.T. They'd never E.T. would never hurt us. He'd give us Reese's Pieces and we go away, you know, but that. But they really are worried about other things. What do you think of that? Um, personally, um, there might be something to that. I think <clears throat> that uh, they certainly have a lot to be concerned about with other governments. And also, if it's ever revealed that. Um, humanity isn't the, the biggest thing going in the universe. True. What people will think about um, our government if they realize that uh, there's greater powers out there and how we really fit into the big picture. You know, it, it, I think any sort of scenario where they disclose, they lose. And so they're going to... That's very uh, well put. This, so they're going to keep this theater going as long as possible um, in, until until it's impossible. Yeah, that's actually very well put. Uh, and as for the question of best sources other than Coast to Coast AM, um, mm-hmm. what uh, what other play, what other kind of thing would you recommend for somebody to actually track the development of these stories? Um, if if you haven't been uh, a regular visitor uh, to MUFON.com site, I mean, you know, I, I I'm promoting my group because I know what we do. We investigate. Um, We are people that are critical, and I think that's evidenced by the fact that we're able to identify most of what's going on, and we're well-trained. And the information that we release on the website and in our publications, I I think, is solid. And, you know, you can go other places that um, where people report their sightings, but, I mean, we investigate them. So you know that when something gets to you, it's been reviewed and... um, come to the conclusion that this is something that's worth your time to take a look at. So I I really don't think there's anything else quite out there like MUFON. I accept that. Uh, Gary is on a wild card line in Bullhead City, Arizona. I have not been to Bullhead City, but I've been to Kingman, which is right nearby, isn't it? Yeah, Kingman's about an hour east of Bullhead. 
Dean. I'm, I'm about 15 miles south of Bullhead City. Wow. I'm in so, an area where there is absolutely no night light pollution. Oh, the beautiful. It's so clear during the day and also at night. There's spectacular for nighttime viewing. And I've noticed since uh, April 19th at 8.25 p.m., I was watching the space station go over in the area and had my youngest brother on the phone who lives in Southern California. And we're both watching the space station. And all of a sudden, I see right in the area where the space station is, I see a series of, uh, I see a, a bright red light start at the site of the space station, and it shoots straight across southward within a second or two, and it disappears in the south. I'm thinking mm. it was a hypersonic uh, weapons testing system. But as I asked my brother to see it, he's, he says he didn't notice anything. Yeah. So next thing I'm, I'm watching for the next two hours, and instead of seeing that same side again, I noticed that up in the sky, in the darkness around the stars and planets, I'm seeing these super small specks of red color lights fill the sky. It's like a power source. Hmm. Uh, you, I, I stare in one small section of the sky, doesn't matter what direction, and all of a sudden these red dots start um, expanding as if this power field is forming. And it fills the rest of the night sky. And then if I stare in one particular point, I could hold my hand out away from me and look at my small pinky finger fingernail. And I see a group of lights about that size start to move in any direction it wants to go. <laughs> I've never heard on Coast to Coast since uh, Art Bell days in the 80s, I've never heard anybody else describe what I'm seeing every night. And now during the daytime, I notice the same shapes, but only in a cloud cover right. uh, area, like a power source. So I reported it as a MUFON member. And I had somebody interview me for about an hour on the phone. And I haven't heard any responses since. And that was huh. in... That was in April of this year, or of last year. And well, uh, I just, I'm just yeah, curious, has anybody yeah. else reported anything like that? Well, Bill is in the customer service for MUFON, so yeah. Bill? Yeah, the customer service was the exact phrase I'm thinking. Yeah, um, so uh, <clears throat> when you say that you haven't heard back, did you um, reach out to the investigator uh, again? I'm just wondering. Yes, I'm not sure what the breakdown in communication is, and but sitting in the customer service hot seat, I'm wondering if you maybe um, could reach out to them again, or possibly even the state director of that chapter and ask yeah, for a follow up on your on your assessment. It's possible, um, you know, they just kind of caught up in whatever was going on in their lives and maybe uh -huh. didn't uh, um, touch back with you. But you know, I, I would follow up. Um, I'm sure somebody will give you some kind of response. Have you have you heard yourself of anybody else reporting something something like that? Because this this can't be just in the Arizona skies. Yeah, I mean Bill? it's universal as far as I can tell. No, 
When you talk about lights that do things that lights shouldn't in the sky, uh, you know, the our reports are filled with things like that, even multiple objects. And I'm not just talking about the Starlink satellites that everybody uh, has been reporting lately. Um, if, you know, when they launch, they launch in the chain and it looks like a fleet of flying saucers. But when you talk about it happening on a persistent basis, that should provide ground for an investigator to to be able to join you and possibly observe the things that you're observing at the same time you're observing them. And I, I think I think that would be a hopeful thing that you might be able to achieve. You know, if if you were in Michigan, I'd say out, drive out, <laughs> you know, look at the sky with you. But um, you know, I, I would probably if for some reason, um Whatever the situation of the MUFON chapter is, that's difficult. I, I would get anybody out there with you, just any sort of additional witness uh, to join you and take a look at it. If it's a persistent thing, um, you know, then you could get other witnesses. You could even get the media in on it if it's something that you're seeing on a regular basis. That I mean, that is like, uh, you know, the holy grail of the UFO phenomena, to have a recurring um, event that is observable because so often UFO events are very quick events. People see something in the sky for maybe three to five seconds and they never see it again because, you know, the, the, the domain of the sky is, is, is not something where you're necessarily right. going to see something repeat itself, but pull, pull other people in uh, get their opinions and, and, you know, take it from there and definitely reach back to the MUFON chapter and ask what their assessment was of your sighting. Cause they probably have something, um, it, you know, in our database that they'll be able to say, "Oh, let's take a look at that." Oh, this is yeah, this is where this investigation ended up. Well, very good. Well, if you ask me to stick around afterward and give a rating to my customer service on this call, I'd rate that high. Uh, good job on that, and we still have a half hour with you and Bill Konkaleski. If you can hang on, he will, and then we'll go open lines coming up on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. We'll go to open lines coming up next hour on Coast to Coast. And I don't think I'm off to a very good start. You know, frequently we do open lines and like people ask me questions and stuff. And I, I don't know, I'm, I've already got a couple of significant big X's in my homework. So this could be very embarrassing coming up next hour. I'll be listening. I hope you will too. And uh, we'll get to those open lines and the rest of your comments for Bill Konkaleski next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett. All right, so many people hanging on. Let's see how many we can get through. So try to keep your questions short. Uh, For uh, Bill Konkaleski, we'll go west of the Rockies, Charles in Sacramento on Coast to Coast. Charles? Uh, Hi, Ian. Okay, short question then. Uh, Are abductees... um, discouraged from participating in field research for abductees until some recency between their own abduction has uh, transpired. And for Ian, Great um, question. Uh, we, we talked a while back about, um, well, I talked about the Ross Perot uh, campaign and the insertion of images and backhauling. I'm 
uh, maybe during open lines you could address that. And uh, the guy in San Diego who's missing his wife, man, I think about you all the time. Thank you, Ian. Those are very sweet thoughts. Um, so the way it's going for me tonight, I probably won't remember about the Ross Perot thing, but I made a note. I'll try to do it. Uh, but that's a good question about, like, does one have, in order to maintain one's research credibility, um, what what criteria do you use for disqualification if somebody has had many encounters or a personal encounter? Um. I'm trying to. I'm hearing a lot of variations of what the, the question could mean here. So I'm, I'm going to start off, and if I'm off track, let me know. So, with regards to who is qualified to investigate um, an experiencer's uh, accounts, there if, you go. if 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 being an experiencer makes you seem non-critical i would uh it, because like oh you know you're just going to believe somebody else who says they've had an encounter because you've had one yourself and that makes you more open to the idea i you, you know i tend to think that those who are experiencers have a better critical eye much in the same way that those who are ufo witnesses are more critical ufo investigators because if you've, if you've never seen a UFO, you bring to the table the wall of you've never seen the phenomena. So it's all speculation to you. If you have seen a UFO, though, you say, well, maybe it is something anomalous. Maybe it isn't. And it provides, I think, a more balanced perspective because you can say, oh, you know, maybe this is, maybe this isn't. And with the case of the experiencer phenomena, it is such a broad um, scope of people and what they encounter and how they describe it. You know, you could have, you know, three different people experience the same exact thing and their personal filters of how they interpret the universe are are going to to make a huge difference. Like maybe you have like a staunch Catholic who thinks demons are coming to visit um, somebody who's you know, I mean, you know, I could go on with categories. You get the picture. Yeah, I get the idea, know, but you know. but I think there's some truth to that in one sense. If we look at it like a voir dire and who would be acceptable for being seated in a jury and somebody said, well, an attorney said, well, raise your hand if you've been if you've been shot by a gun. And the case mm-hmm. is about people who are suing the gun manufacturers they may that may be somebody that you don't want on a jury to give an objective view of of that because they may still be harbor, harboring different feelings about it one way or another. Yeah, I, I totally I totally get you there. Where I think this is sort of different is it's as if you said something like uh, you know one of the questions to be seated on that jury is do you believe anybody's ever been shot. Right, and if, if and if somebody raises their hand, and you know it, it's it's that it's that big of a threshold to say that you know they you know they and we do see a lot of investigators come in that um, walk away and say you know hey I've not been impressed by any of the sightings that have come in to me personally I'm just going to think that there's nothing at all to this phenomena and you know they come in with that 
hardened perception. I think to have a little bit of give is, you know, to say that, you know, and, and if somebody's never seen anything and they believe somebody else, I don't know, you know, if that's as valuable either as somebody who has seen something that can look in a balanced way of saying, you know, I know there's things out there that are unexplainable in the sky. Um, let me, you know, still right. look at this critically with the training that I've received and, and try to make the most of it that way. I think that is the o- most open-minded critic okay. to say that something is viable or not as somebody who's had that type of experience. Cheryl's on a wild card line in Missouri on Coast to Coast. Cheryl? Hey. Thank you, Gina, and hey, Ian, and Bill. Fascinating cop concepts here. Um, I want to ask you, like, how do I figure out the difference anymore between, like, you know, it's all the God and faith and science and logic and um, you know, souls and mind? How to reconcile all these con- controversy? I know it's a big, huge question I'm asking. No, no, no. You know, it's a really good start, and and I'll I'll stop Bill from answering, and I'll just say, <laughs> go to this. Go to. Um, there's a famous biblical, sorry, it's a papal encyclical called Fides et Ratio. So it's faith and reason. And and it's a, it's a question about balancing faith and reason. Um, and it's, it's not exclusive to a Catholic worldview, um, but it was, it's very informative. And I think it, it remains one of the best ways of looking at those two things, because lots of times people mistake one for the other. And it, it, this is a way of saying, no, they're two different things. Sometimes they overlap a little bit, maybe uh, in the subject matter. Uh, but it's legitimate to look at both either way. Mary's in L.A. on Coast to Coast AM. Mary? Yeah, this is, I have to tell you that I've been on Coast to Coast before and listened religiously. And never in a million years did I think that I would question my judgment when it comes to psychic phenomena. But I am getting messages on my cell phone, text messages in Byerly Code from Diana, who has a clone on Earth named Artemis Solterra. Artemis Solterra is the most unusual human being I've ever met. I mean, I'm not fully human. And the reason I'm saying this is that... Yeah, but this sounds... this is really important, but it's not on the subject of what we're talking about right now. Can can you hang on? We can get to that for open lines coming up because we've got some people that want to talk to Bill. And I, I, I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say. But right at this exact moment, that probably would take us down a, a different path. So if you can hang on or call back, we would love to have you for open lines or in the first hour tomorrow night uh, when we have on Glynis McCants. And we'll be talking about the latest about the Diana research and the royal family from a numerological standpoint. Roger, we've done, have we done Roger? Uh, let's do Roger. I think, um, Roger, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay, you are also in Missouri. Yes, sir, Winsville. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, back in uh, March of uh, last year, I just moved in my apartment. Actually, it was in November. And the following year i was in this uh it's like a four family flat it's about 50 feet by uh 50 feet 
And that night, it was uh, March 1st, around 3 o'clock in the morning, I was unpacking my stuff. I still wasn't all the way moved in. And I heard some geese or ducks flying in from outside. You know, it was dark. I kind of took a break, walked outside and looked around, see what was going on, you know, just get some fresh air. So I looked towards the south, and I didn't see nothing. I just heard the ducks squawking. They were coming back from the south going north. And then I looked down towards the parking lot, and I didn't see anything. So I turned around to my right, and I looked up, and there's a damn uh, spacecraft at least uh, 40 feet long by 20 feet wide, just hovered. No noise, no lights. And the only way I seen that thing was they put new uh, LED lights on the parking lot, and the bright lights over there, the glare off of it, reflected off the bottom of this uh, spacecraft. I'm going to call it that. I don't know what else to say. And then the neighbor's uh, porch lights were on, and you can see the bottom of it. That's all I could see. Well, how, where does it? So I, this is this is fascinating. But Bill Konkoleski is here. So do you have a question or a comment specifically for him for Bill? Well, I was going to say, have he ever heard any reports of uh, of a spacecraft or UFO shaped is like a, almost like a boomerang? Oh, interesting. It's got square. It's got yeah. square tiles. You can see the bottom of it. It looks like square tiles on the bottom of it. Yeah, the, the boomerang shape, the triangle shape. Okay, Bill, what do you think about that? Sure, absolutely. We have uh, you know boomerang shapes uh, reported to us. When the boomerangs are <clears throat> typically reported, though, they're often much larger than what you describe, though the sort of plating on it uh, is, is a pattern that's uh, not unique. About how high up was it? Um, 40 feet. And how long did yeah. It was about 40 feet in the air. I think that's basically what he said, yeah. I think he, I remember him saying it was like about 40 feet wide, 20 feet. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I may have conflated those two things. But your your but the, the boomerang shape is not surprising nor is the that the way the tile arrangement underneath yeah, though typically a boomerang shape usually implies a larger craft, sometimes a much, much larger craft. Um, some of these triangular and boomerang-shaped craft that people report, um, they they report them as being, uh, like, in fact, stadium-sized, like mammoth. Okay. Um, and it's not to say that some people don't see smaller things. Um, so if, you know, if he's open, you know, I say, you know, have a conversation with the local MUFON chapter and delve into it a little bit more and uh, see what comes out of that. I think it would be very reaffirming to do that and find out that there have been other people who had a similar experience that night. Uh, Jim is on the Big Island in Hawaii, coast to coast AM. Jim? Hello, Ian and Bill. Um, I, I've, always, I've watched this guy. I'm 67. I've watched this guy ever since I was a kid. Um Anyway, within the last month, I've seen two strange things. On the 27th of December, I'd seen a couple satellites go by because they're kind of dim and they move, you know, kind of slow in, on one hand. And then I saw it was about 7.15 on the 27th. I saw a bright light, which... I know aircraft because I used to be in the Marine Corps on the air wing. There was no 
marking lights or anything like that. It was just a white. It almost looked a little bit long, but not really. Okay. And um, I was thinking, geez, that's kind of high. And, and it was moving like four or five times faster than what a satellite would going sure. across the sky. And then what got me was there there was a cloud and, you know, kind of like at the edge of the cloud, how the stars are dimmer, you know, until it completely blocks them out. Well, this thing went under the cloud. Okay. That's interesting. You have a question. The cloud had to be about six to maybe 7,000 feet above sea level from the altitude where I'm at. Uh, and then, do, you, do you have a question or, or something for Bill? Because he's going to be only here for a few more minutes, so I want to make sure that okay. we get to that. Then, then, then my next one, I guess, would be kind of more of a question, like what could this have been? I was looking okay. at Mars about a week ago. Okay. And then if Mars was the center of the clock, about 8 o'clock, you know, angle-wise, there was a flash. And then I kept looking at it and saying, did I see that? And then about 5 o'clock, there was another flash, you know, direction-wise. And then there, then it continued on, and then it turned into like a reddish light and then faded away. Okay. So the question out of that is? What might that have been? Yeah, what might have been. Go ahead. Okay. So there, what, what I hear in there is... Uh, there are 20 questions that I want to ask um, just to, to sort of set the table about uh, looking into it. And um, uh, we, although we don't have that type of time, I will say that I've enjoyed hearing about your sighting. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the other people that have shared their sightings on here. Um, to me, that's one of the best things about doing what I do is hearing other people sure. share uh, the, the, the amazing things they've seen. So, you know, I'm going to do that short answer again to say, please report it to MUFON and um, have a, a nice in-depth conversation about what you've seen. And again, thanks for sharing it. Yeah, if, if I weren't up against the top of the hour clock, uh, I, I would love to hear more about that. But I'm afraid one story leads to another story, and then we don't actually take advantage of having you here, which is, I think, uh, the thing that would benefit people the most. Right, we have just enough time for Rusty and Pensacola. No. Okay, well that, that's what I was that's what I was afraid of. So, um, all right. So, unfortunately, that'll do it for Bill Konkoleski this time, but we will have to have you back. So, thank you again, Bill, and we'll be tracking both more additions to the preliminary assessment from the DOD. Um, if you want to read that, you can find out more by going to coasttocoastam.com. Go to MUFON's uh, national website and see some of the images there and start the conversation among yourself and then get in touch with your local MUFON people. Bill, always a pleasure. Uh, and hang on, everybody else who wants to get in, we'll give you the numbers so that you can be part of Open Lines coming up next on Coast to Coast AM. This is Ian Punnett.